As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast. Hello and welcome back to the show that brings you the thought and theology of New Testament scholar N.T. Wright and brought to you in partnership with N.T. Wright Online, SBCK and Premier Unbelievable. I'm Justin Briley, Head of Theology and Apologetics there and today we're looking at the theology of death. It may seem like a rather sombre subject but lots of you want to know about it. Uh, Questions like how does John's gospel deal with death? What's Paul's understanding of death as an enemy or a mercy from God? And that whole question of physical death, is it a result in some way of sin and the fall? We're getting to all of those questions this week. Uh, Thanks to someone in Switzerland who left a podcast review to say, as a Jesus follower and theology student, I absolutely love the podcast. Uh, And if you're able to rate and review us in your podcast provider, it'll help other people to discover the show as well. Just before we get into today's programme, some exciting, unbelievable live events coming up soon. Ask Philip Yancey anything. That's on the 1st of March. You can register free to be part of the audience for this live Q&A webinar. I'll be interviewing him about his role in being an incredibly significant voice in the evangelical church over the past few decades. He's had a wonderful autobiography out recently called Where the Light Fell. You can be part of that. And we're about to open ticketing for Unbelievable the Conference 2022, Saturday the 14th of May, live from the British Library in London. But you can attend from anywhere in the world. And thousands of people came online for our conference last year with Tom. Exciting theme this time, God Unmuted, helping the church to find its authentic voice again. So for both of those events, go to unbelievable.live. There's a link with today's show. For now, into your questions. Welcome back to another edition of the show. And frequently, the questions that get asked uh, cover all kinds of issues around theology, Tom. But but perhaps death and dying are among the most obvious uh, that come up time and again, obviously because it's part of everybody's experience um, in some way or another. And people, I think, have a real concern over what happens when we die specifically, um, and especially some of the more, if you like, practical aspects of, of what it means to, to be resurrected in the new creation and so on. We'll, we'll come to some of the practical questions on next week's show. We're going, we've, people have got some practical questions around things like cremation and burial and that sort of thing. But um, first of all, some questions, if you like, that deal more with a theological sort of side of this. Um, and I'll, I'll leap right in with Brett from Sterling Heights in Michigan, who says, uh, really appreciate the show and have benefited from the wisdom. As a pastor and an emergency centre chaplain, I've been working alongside grief a lot in recent years. I'm working on a doctoral project 
which I'm framing as a Johannine thanatology. You'll have to explain what that means in a moment, Tom. Uh, a Johannine thanatology, looking particularly at the Johannine voice into a theology of death. So what are some ways Christians can approach death from a place that honours God while being honest in lament? So my first question is, what is a Johannine thanatology for those who, who don't know, Tom? <laughs> well, uh, yes, indeed. Th- th- thanatology, it's not a, not a word that happy people use a lot, it's fair to say. But um, the Greek word thanatos is the word for death. So a thanatology would be a theology of death or a theory of death. Mm. I'm not sure myself until I saw this question. I hadn't actually thought of doing a particular Johannine take on death as opposed to a Pauline or a, a Markan or something take but um i i I think i understand something of the question though i very much honor what brett is doing i have not worked um alongside grief that much you know as a pastor naturally i have had to meet with and pray with people who are grieving facing death whether their own or that of one they love Um, but that hasn't been as big a part of my experience as it obviously is for brett um for me Faced with the question, John's Gospel, death, question mark, I go straight to John chapter 11, which has Jesus, who John has made quite clear to us, is the incarnate word of God. He is the one through whom the worlds were made. He is the one through whom all life and light came into being. And this Jesus, this incarnate Jesus, weeps at the tomb of his friend. Now, once you've said that, you've said everything, really. And, you know, mm. th- there were some people in the early church who were so overawed by this that they said, well, he, he wept and suffered and died as a human, but he did miracles and so on, um, including raising Lazarus, insofar as he was God. John won't allow us to do that. The, the, the fact of Jesus weeping means that God himself, God incarnate, is weeping at the tomb of his friend. Now, it seems to me, therefore, it is perfectly honoring to God to lament and indeed not to lament is not to honor god i have met some people some devout christians who because they have a very strong belief in the christian hope of the ultimate life everlasting they have somehow fooled themselves into thinking that it's wrong to grieve over the death Mm. of someone that you love and i i know one good lady who didn't weep or grieve at all at the funeral of her own husband, to whom she'd been married for well over 40 years. It was only two or three years later when other family events went in the way that she hadn't expected Mm. that she suddenly came out with overwhelming grief. And it was quite clear that this was the delayed grief that she should Mm. have been able to express Mm. for her husband. Because not to grieve is to deny love, because grief is the shadow side of love. And uh, not to lament over someone's death is to fail to honor God, who is the creator and life giver, that life is God's good gift. And even though we as Christians believe in the hope, well, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He was going to raise Lazarus. So he didn't stroll in and say, well, that's all right. Okay, this is a bit of fun, isn't it? Let's just get on Mm, with the job. mm. Jesus weeps because something about Lazarus's death um, is shocking. It's horrible. It's the denial of the goodness of God in this particular person. And then we believe God is going to deal with that. But the other mm. side of suffering, of pain, of waiting, of grieving, of crying, etc. So it, it seems to me that lament and the honouring of God in creation are actually mm. two sides of mm. the same coin here. I, I mean, I, I sometimes get that sense that s- some Christians do feel that 
there's been this trend for instance recently for um funerals to, to people to say well don't come dressed in black or anything come in bright colors with this is going to be a celebration of, of the person's life and while i totally acknowledge that and that may be the right thing for certain situations at the same time we shouldn't try and ignore the fact that something very sad has happened and and that's okay to yeah. recognize that isn't it Absolutely. And I have been on the edge of of that cultural question as well. And also, some people have gone to the point of of saying, we'll do the cremation first, and then we'll go into church and we'll have a service of thanksgiving. And I think that's sometimes people are afraid of their own grief, afraid of Mm. perhaps this huge volcano of of violent sorrow, which could come. And I want to say, actually, church is the right place for that. Um, Mm. You know, the crematoria are horrible places. We'll come to that in another question, but because they're only concerned with with death, whereas the church is a place of joy and sorrow. And mm-hmm. I think to come into the church with a coffin and to be able to have that both celebration and mm. grieving mm. and then mm. to dispose appropriately mm. of the body. We'll come back to that later, mm. as I say. Mm. Um, that's that's a much healthier yeah. way to do it. Yes, I, I mean, it, it brings me back um, again treading on territory of next week's podcast but to a very one of you know the most memorable funerals i've ever been at was was a young lady from our church who died well before her time very sadly young south african lady and um her her widow is now you know still a member of our church but it was both a place where many tears were shed because she was was only you know in her early 30s um but there was also this joyful sort of aspect to it as well. And it's yeah. a strange mixture, yeah. church, of, of the joy and the sorrow sort of all mixed together in, in a yes. service like that. Yes, but, um, yes. I yeah. think, uh, but I do think that, that contemporary Christians of various sorts are not terribly good at getting this balance right. Mm. And we, mm. we need to work at it. Paul's understanding of death is what Ross in Canada wants to ask about. Um, how did Paul think about this? Genesis 3 verse 22 seems to imply that God makes a choice to mercifully allow the death of humanity to sort of prevent us from living forever in a fallen state. That's the way Ross reads it anyway. Um, uh, he says making time for the plan of redemption to rescue us. But at the same time, Paul refers to death as an enemy that will one day be defeated. So how are we to think of death then? Is it a problem or a gift or both or neither? Would love to hear your thoughts. Yes, um, uh, let's start with that Pauline passage, which is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 28, one of the all-time great Pauline passages which we ought to have engraved on our hearts, which include the overthrow of every enemy against God and God's kingdom. And he says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that goes, of course, very closely with what the book of Revelation says, that death and Hades themselves are thrown into the lake of fire. You think, how, how does that work? This is the death of death. Um, what exactly does that mean? And it's there that I think we're on the brink of a mystery, which I'm not sure we have good language for. But the point is this. When God made the world, it was good. It was very good. God said so again and again in Genesis 1. God saw it all and it was good. And then he created human beings and he said it was very good. So anything that denies, distorts, destroys that is a slap in the face for God, the good creator. It's like somebody taking a beautiful violin and just snapping it in two. And you imagine the violin maker, let alone a violin player, saying, how could you do that? And that's what death does. It takes something which is inherently beautiful and lovely and just says, no, 
this is finished. We're, we're mm. going to throw it away. Um, and and if we don't react to that with some sort of horror, then I think we're not tuning in to the reality of the situation. Mm. Now, having said that, of course, and th there are ancient myths about this as well, that um, somebody who is given the chance of uh, living forever and ever and ever and says, oh, yes, I want that, and then discovers that as they live forever and ever and ever, they go on getting older and all their hang-ups and all their angers and all their anxieties are still there. Do they mm. have to suffer that forever and ever? Um, mm. and, and this is a way of saying, look, granted the sort of people that we now are, there is a sort of kindness in saying enough of that. It's time now to go to sleep. Um, you know, you've been the person you've been. Mm. You've had your had your shot at, at this human life thing, because um, we we are none of us in such a state that we could just step straight into um, carrying on forever and ever uh, mm. as though there was as though there was nothing wrong with us. And this is actually part of the answer to those at the moment who are saying. Let's find out what it is that causes death, and let's um, let's deal with that. I, I debated this with Peter Thiel, the PayPal billionaire, who's it's oh one gosh. of his pet schemes to to find the cause of cause of death and, and deal with it. Uh, I remember saying, would it actually be a good thing if you or I were to live to be two hundred or three hundred or four hundred? Um, what are we actually talking about there? So I think um, there is a moment. I visited somebody the other day who's very sick and very near death, and uh, I'm not sure that he really knew who I was, but we knew each other well a long time ago. And when I look at somebody in that physical condition, I understand that that prayer of St. Francis is a verse in, in, that, in that hymn, All Creatures of Our God and King, a, a verse we don't often sing, which mm. goes, and thou most dear and kindly death, waiting to hush our latest breath, alleluia. In other words, this is actually, for somebody in this condition, it's a kindness. But that's something we might allow ourselves to say sometimes mm. when mm. we're looking at somebody who is mm. decrepit physically, mm. emotionally, mentally, etc., that death is a mercy, as we sometimes say. But that's the, the, the extra bit which we can yeah. say, but the, the primary thing to say is that death is the denial of something that's good. And that's why the resurrection is so important, because it's a way of saying God is going to bring this person into a new bodily life in his new creation. And, and uh, let's not make death such a great thing that we forget that ultimate promise. Yeah. Well, there's a, a very much a related couple of questions that have come in, both from Tom in London and Matthew in Winona Lake, Indiana. In fact, Grace College and Seminary, says Matthew. But let's let's ask them both. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom's first is a short one. It says, if Genesis 1 to 2 is not about a literal six day creation, in what sense did death enter the world when Adam sinned, uh, such as in Romans 5? Wouldn't it have already been very much a feature of pre-Adam creation? And then... Question two sort of expands on that from Matthew. He says, um, apologies in advance for the length of this question. I'm studying theology at seminary, and it seems the more I learn, the more I realize I don't fully understand, which is admittedly helping my humility a bit. Uh, I hit a passage the other day, and I can't forget it out. Romans 5, verses 12 to 14, which uh, Matthew quotes here. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account 
when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. And then um, I'm not going to try and pronounce this Greek word, uh, but he says I'm struggling with this particular <laughs> El- word. You can pr- go. Go ahead, Tom. Elogitai. <laughs> Elogitai, rendered as charged to one's account. The only other occurrence I've seen is in Philemon regarding the guilt of Onesimus being charged to St. Paul's account. So I have to wonder, is Paul saying that those who had not received the law were not charged for breaking it? Obviously, death still reigned. But even though they died, since mankind can't exist eternally in sinfulness, maybe they were exempted from some of the law's charge. I haven't sorted this out. Would appreciate any help you can give. So, well, they are two different sorts of questions, really, though coming from similar sources here. Um, they're, they're, but yeah. they are very closely they're very closely related, and uh, I, I'm kind of amused to be um, faced with Romans five twelve to fourteen in a podcast situation. Because if I was teaching a class on Romans, you could easily spend a whole hour on just <laughs> those sure. um, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Um, and of course, I and others have written commentaries on Romans, and I'm sure that um, Grace College and Seminary, where Matthew is studying, will have dozens of commentaries of, on Romans on the shelves. And I would urge him to go and look at those. The crucial thing there, and then I'll come back to Tom from London mm-hmm. afterwards. The crucial thing there is that Paul is very much aware that the law of Moses is given to Israel. We in the West have tended to think of the law as the moral law to which all humans are subject. But throughout Romans and Galatians, when Paul is talking about the law, he's talking about the Mosaic law. So he's talking about Gentiles and Jews. So he's talking about Gentiles who are sinning without having the law, this echoes what he'd already said in Romans 2. And indeed, Romans is so tightly stitched together that at every point you can refer backwards and forwards, uh, which you need to do if you're going to understand the whole thing. Um, So that Gentiles, he is saying, are simply sinning. They don't have the law. They're blundering around in the dark, getting stuff wrong. But it's not, as it were, counted up, reckoned, because they don't have Torah to do that. But then, as he says in Romans 3.19, following the Jews who do have the law, the law says to them specifically, you have broken it. And that's what Deuteronomy 26 to 29 are all about, that Moses says, God has given you this law, but I know that in fact, you're going to go ahead and break it. And Deuteronomy 32, Moses says that really very strongly. And Paul is picking up on that throughout. So there's a there's a Jew-Gentile thing going on in Romans 5, 12 to 14. Um, and from from that point of view, yes, death reigned, but uh, humankind, uh, as you say, can't exist eternally in sinfulness. But it's not because they were exempted from some of the law's charges. It's that as Gentiles, they simply weren't under the law. And that's one of the big shifts which we have to make to understand what Paul is saying. So with that, I think I'll uh, refer Matthew to my commentary and, and many others and go back to Tom from London. I have taken the view, and I think I say this in one of the essays in my book, Surprised by Scripture, when I'm talking about historical Adam and all that, that, yes, Genesis 1 to 2 is clearly not about a literal six-day creation. That's a, a modern mistake to imagine that. But I think we have to distinguish between ordinary death in terms of a life cycle, um, the, the trees drop their leaves and the leaves turn into mulch and fuel the next generation of, of vegetation, etc. And then what I might call death with a capital D, 
that, that God created humans to be his image bearers and he gave them a garden which had the tree of life. Now, the, the, the trees in the garden are very, very mysterious in Genesis 2. I don't claim to understand them fully, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life. But the aim was for humans to be able to escape what was happening to the rest of creation in this life cycle which had been going on for millennia. Um, but in the day that they decide to grab at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then death with a capital D will overtake them. And, and we know that when they're put out of the garden, there's an angel with a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life precisely so that they don't then take it and live forever, as we were saying before. So it seems to me we have to distinguish what you might call ordinary death, which is simply part of the life cycle, and death, which is this horrible thing, which is denial of what the humans were meant to be and do. I've, I've heard some people, for instance, I, I have a feeling, I don't think I'm misrepresenting him, say Dennis Alexander, who's quite a well-known geneticist in Cambridge and Christian, yes, possibly. Um, and, pr and very much a proponent of theistic evolution, um, when he addressed this in his book, Creation or Evolution, Do We Have to Choose? He sort of essentially said the Romans passage and what it says about death is, in his view, talking more about a spiritual death rather than physical death being introduced. Um, and I don't know if you would make that sort of a distinction, this capital D death. Um, Yes, um, I, I would be a little wary of using the words physical and spiritual to make that distinction. Mm. Um, it, it, it's as though there's an intensification of the mm. meaning of this physical death. Um, it, it will be physical death, but it, it will it will have now the sense of a of a denial of what humans were really made for. Um, mm. Now, there's, there are many other mysteries going on in Genesis 2 and 3 at that point, and I'm not claiming that I've no. unpacked them, but uh, well, that's where I, I start. I encourage anyone who wants more to go back to some of our podcasts where, where we've dealt in more death, uh, in, in yep. more detail, I should say, <laughs> more death, more in more detail with some of these issues around creation, evolution, Adam and Eve and so on there. They're there in the back catalogue if you want to explore them. Well, we'll continue talking about what is obviously a sort of sombre subject, death, uh, on next week's podcast. We're going to look at some of your practical questions around it next time. But for now, thank you very much for helping us to think through the issues we've looked at today, Tom. Thank you. Well, thanks as ever for being with us. And as I've mentioned, we'll be continuing this conversation on death, but from a more practical angle next time. Uh, questions like when we die, are we asleep or are we with Jesus in some way? Questions around cremation versus burial. Um, you'll find out what Tom would prefer for himself of those two options. And what about organ donation? All interesting questions on next week's show. Uh, you can get more from the show at askntwrite.com. Register there and you'll also get the link to ask a question for yourself too. And just a reminder before we finish today's show, unbelievable.live is the place to register for our upcoming live webinar with Philip Yancey on the 1st of March. You can ask him anything there and it's free to attend. You just need to register in advance. And also our ticketing for Unbelievable the Conference in May has gone live. It's going to be fab, unbelievable.live. Again, the links are with today's show and we'll see you next time.